Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 13th, 2022. This is episode 338. My name is Scott Magnus. And this is Jake English. And on this week's show, we're going to go around the bases to get us started with the 2022 season. And now that we've got something new and we're a little bit bruised, we're the something blue. We'll see what else takes place this season. And we'll do that after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Scott Magnus, this week I am working my way through uh, a couple of pounders of Rogue's Combat Wombat. Combat Wombat is a sour, northeast-style, hazy, India pale ale brewed with Australian hops, blood orange, and grapefruit. And if that sounds busy, It's busy, it but it's amazing. But it's delicious. It's amazing. Highly recommended. Um, highly, you know, go out to your store and get it. Uh, I'm going with another kind of gin drink. I know people are surprised about this. Um, so I've got a, a a ginger gin mule this evening. So we've got some mint leaves on the bottom, muddled out. Um, I've got some ginger simple syrup on the bottom there. We're topping it off with some, you know, either Irish gin or, you know, another gin of your choice. And then we're topping it off with some fever tree ginger beer on top of it as well. So you know, a little, little spice, but uh, definitely uh, still being able to pick up those juniper berries uh, through the gin aspect. So that's my my drink of the week. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm drinking out of a, a copper mule mug, um, and it's a fun kind of spring drink um, going forward. Well, that is exciting. Like I said, I'm sure Jake English will be imbibing on it many a times in the future as long as I don't run out of ginger beer. Um, and that seems to be the biggest issue is I'm going through the fever tree uh, ginger beer, just like I go through the fever tree ginger to- or uh, fever tree tonic water, um, pretty darn quickly. So I've got to pace myself, as it were. It's an occupational hazard. It is an occupational hazard. Um, all right. Well, if you want to find out what we're drinking uh, on a daily and/or weekly basis, follow us on Untapped. I'm at MAGN eight six zero six. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. And with that, let's go to two hundred eighty characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you start us off? Absolutely. First, I want to start with a tweet from Orioles Haiku at O's underscore poems. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Hold uh, up a second. The tweet, the tweet goes as follows. So uh, Camden Yards has allowed the least amount of home runs so far this season. Um, yes, that's true. But it's One game? probably not for the reason that you think. Yeah. It's not the wall. I think it's the offense. Yeah. So I have a question here. So obviously we're following Orioles Haiku now. Um, was Orioles Haiku already taken? Like, is that why we had to go with O's underscore poems? Here's here's what I like to think is mm-hmm. the case. I don't know. I'm not okay. going to speak for Orioles Haiku, except I'm about to speak for Orioles Haiku. Here's my theory. Okay. My theory is that they didn't want to be pinned down to just Haiku, <laughs> right? And selecting poems gives them the opportunity to slip into a sonnet here and there. Okay. Maybe maybe try out a villanelle, see how it makes them feel. 
you know, to rage against the dying of that light. I think that this kept their their options all the way open. I, I hear that. I mean, I just think it would have been appropriate if we're going to go this. We actually put the proper context on it. It should have been O's underscore poems underscore five seven five um because you know if we're going to do it um and again you can switch up your handle name if you're going to switch into iambic pentameter or whatever you're so choosing in the future i just feel like there's a misrepresentation um and we've got to be careful of such misrepresentation on the internet um well I, i've been warned uh, orioles haiku i mean let us know set us straight tell us the story yes the internet needs to know absolutely if they we've already lost drunk tommy hunter to the banes of the internet um you know Please fill us in, as it were. Oh, my goodness. Um, so the next tweet comes from Dan Connolly. Um, you can follow him at Dan Connolly 2016. Obviously, Dan Connolly writes for The Athletic. Tweets follows Trayman seeing the ball he hit last night to left field that would have been a homer in 2021, but was a double Tuesday. You want that first home run, first RBI, all of that. So it was a little deflating. I'm not going to lie. But it is what it is. Don't like it. Hit a little farther. And, and yes, as soon as that ball was hit out and uh, hit right below the wall... You knew immediately that people were going to lose their mind. And yeah, people lost their mind is the best way to put it in saying that would have been a home run. What is Elias doing? Um, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. Um, I was actually reminded of a uh, a, a situation when um, in Travis Sodrick's novel, specifically when he was talking about the pirates and the pirates starting to, in essence, embrace sabermetrics um, and they were embracing aspects of the shift. And I can't remember what pitcher it was off the top of my head. But the person, the pitcher was not a big fan of shifting. Um, and in his first game out there, uh, they shifted and the ball was hit exactly to the spot where the shift wasn't. And, and the guy's just like, see, I was right. We shouldn't have done this. Um, but yes, this, this single point of data analysis um, cracks me up is the best way to describe it. So I feel bad for Trey. Um, but in the long run with a large enough sample size, um, it all bounced out. All right, our next tweet comes to us from Rock Kabako. You know him. He's at Mass and Rock. By the way, Mass and Rock, who writes for MassandSports.com. Scotty, did you see the MassandSports.com uh, facelift, if you want to call it that? I would say that, yes, I've seen it. I think it's a facelift. I mean, because the previous site was very, I would even say dark ages, like 2008-ish is the best way to put it. So, yeah, I mean, there's it's a different look is the best way to put it. Maybe maybe it looks better uh, on mobile. I haven't seen it on mobile yet, but let's just say I'm undecided so far. Anyway, our tweet comes to us from uh, Rockabaka, who tweets at Mass and Rock. Cedric Mullins' grand slam last night was the first for the Orioles' left-handed batter against the Southpaw. Uh, it was the first since Dwight Smith Jr. connected off Giants' Drew Pomeranz on May 31st, 2019 at Camden Yards. Chris Davis and O's legend Reggie Jackson each have three most in club history. And, Scotty, I think we missed a massive opportunity with this tweet. Rock, I'm going to call you out here, buddy. I think we need to start referring to him as Orioles legend Chris Davis. If we're going to ironically use Orioles legend in that statement, it needs to apply to Chris Davis. Can we think about that, too? Like, just thinking about that stat of like a left-handed batter against the Southpaw, Reggie Jackson having three most in club history in one season, in one season. That's really impressive. Like it's really impressive. Like it's, it's kind of mind boggling. Honestly, it's almost as if he was a good player. It's almost like he was a good player, but uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, our last tweet um, comes from 
um, lately buzzed O's fans. So I can't. Well, I don't believe those exist. Yeah, I I don't. I don't recognize this. Um, you can follow them at Smash underscore O. Again, if you're Smash, can you be lightly buzzed? Again, I'm I'm just delving into the deepness. Is the best way to tell us the story. Lightly buzzed O's fan. Um. Goes as follows. It does not get better than Jim Palmer and Ben McDonald in the booth with Kevin Brown. I feel like I could skin an alligator and seduce a supermodel, whatever this trio is together. There is an interesting dynamic when the three are in the room. It's like, I don't know, like Palmer is definitely like one of these aspects of like the pretty boy, as it mentions. Um, we'll call it we'll call it slightly left-leaning, where Ben is definitely right-leaning is the best way to describe it. But just the dynamics of you know, Jim Palmer leaving in his, you know, swanky mansion, as it were, and Ben McDonald going out and basically be like, I'm out hunting again, this deer. It's got to be interesting for Kevin Brown to, in essence, like play moderator. It's almost like he's moderating a presidential debate. And he's just like, guys, 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 just calm down. Um, put them back in your pants. We can we can talk about this later is the best way to put it. As long as they don't seduce the alligator. I think I'm fine. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to like take a look at them in the booth together, because uh, Kevin Brown is not a small individual. Is the best way to put it. He's six foot tall, and he looks like he is um, five foot four in that booth um, with both of them side by side. So uh, yeah, like I said, I really have enjoyed um, the Brown uh, Kevin Browning and Jim Palmer banter, and I think you know the Jim Palmer Ben McDonald and Kevin Brown banter. It's going to be really interesting to see if they can pull up a three-man booth, but that's a really interesting concoction of people all giving their opinions, um, and I think there could be a lot of playful banter, and you know Bird's Eye View is all about playful banter. Absolutely. I'll have to be honest. You know, I've caught some Masson. I haven't listened to very much of the radio yet this year. Um, you know, it's all the, the same cast of characters, so there's not much difference to be had, uh, but I, I haven't haven't caught much of the, the yeah. broadcasts so on the radio. I yet. don't know what's going on with the radio. So um, I'm, I was listening tonight because I do enjoy listening to the radio broadcast. Um, and whatever is going on with Orioles Radio Network's microphones, it's like static and garbly. And people have said they heard the same thing on opening day. Um, so I don't know if it's the aspect of moving to 98 Rock or what's going on, but... Well, I, I think the problem is is that um, since they're not traveling with the team, yes, right. Since they're not not there when the team is away, so they're sending them they to have, an away stadium to basically broadcast yeah, they while they're be in equally yards. distant when the team is at home. <laughs> so they're just in a truck, you know, twenty five miles from the stadium, and it's it's tough to get good quality that way. It is tough to get good quality when you're broadcasting from the Dew Drop In. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. Um, and it's something that I, I'm sure the Orioles are going to address sooner rather than later. Um, but it's, 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 it's concerning because it doesn't come up to the high quality broadcast product that I'm expecting to hear uh, on a day in a day basis. So, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, speaking of high quality broadcasts, is it okay if we giggle? Um, we, we can giggle, um, as long as it only tickles a little. All right, so uh, kicking us off in the medical wing, um, yeah, Adley Rutschman, you know, some information came out today indicating that he's 
not quite ready to, you know, start doing full baseball activities. He's throwing, he's sitting off tees, he's working with the coaches. But again, no timeline as it relates to, you know, entering into ball games at Norfolk. So we are coming up on the month mark, Jake, in terms of when this injury first happened. Um, I don't want to say I'm nervous, but I do find it odd that, you know, we are not a little bit further along as part of this process. I don't know. I feel like the Orioles are really in a tough spot because whatever update they give, even if they've got the best medical science behind them, it's going to be tough to stick to that. And so they're putting themselves out there publicly to get lambasted by the fans when it doesn't happen because somebody's muscle or tendon doesn't respond the way that doctors wish casted. I I can kind of see them being a little close to the vest when it comes to somebody as important to the franchise as Adley Rutschman. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, and I, I hear what you're saying. And like I said, I think it's just something that it just seems odd that they said two to three weeks. And then they think that's a normal aspect for a grade one tricep strain. Um, and it's kind of starting to linger. And it makes me think, I'm wondering if it's more like a grade two. Um, and if that's the case, like it's not, you know, a disaster for his career. I mean, you know, great example would be Justin Verlander had a tricep injury in 2015. And it took him about two months to recover is the best way to put it. Um, but he eventually got back and recovered fully um, to be the pitcher that he is today. Um, but it's just, it's just odd is the best way to put it. I understand that they don't want to, you know, be too out there and open, but it just seems the longer it goes on, the the more murmuring there's going to be within Birdland. Um, Absolutely. Speaking of murmuring, uh, this is kind of breaking news as it were from the, just the past few minutes. Um, so John means is pitching tonight. Um, he left the game after four innings pitch with only 51 pitches. Um, and obviously coming out after 51 pitches seems odd um especially since he was supposed to go closer to 80 pitches tonight um so there is a kind of a murmur or conversation going about of is is something potentially wrong um with john means is the best way to describe it or did something pop up was it a perfect game it was not a perfect game i can tell you that much well there you go we were only promised that he would go deep if it was a perfect game yes so i mean so john means was pulled from the game and everything is terrible forever. Yeah. So John means uh, pulled from the game after 51 pitches um, as a positive um, based off reports on Orioles Twitter, uh, the stadium decided to do the wave um, in order to celebrate the situation. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, no one should. Um, in other terrible news from the medical wing, um, you know, Yusniel Diaz had a great spring training, had a good start to the minor league campaign, uh, and then as of last evening, was removed uh, halfway through the game due to left hamstring discomfort, uh, and has ended up on the seven-day IL uh, within the minor league. So um, this will be something to monitor. I mean, Diaz has, again, had a history of medical injuries and and issues trying to maintain his health. Um so again, I don't think this is surprising to Orioles fans. It's just extremely poor timing based off of some of the success that he's had so early in the season. And then I don't know how you feel about this, Jake. Um, Dean Kramer um, suffered an oblique injury. And it was interesting because he came in, was warming up, and he was supposed to um, you know, potentially have a start um, 
later on this later in this week so i think it was supposed to be he was actually supposed to be pitching on tuesday evening um and he came in out for kind of a quick like warm-up session um and then he quickly left out of the bullpen and basically never came back out again so dean kramer looks like he's going to be out for a significant period of time if it's actually an oblique strain probably multiple months um it's a really bad situation for him because it's one of these situations where you know, Elias had basically indicated that he was one of those pitchers that needed to step up. And I think this puts him on the back burner of like once he is back and he does his rehabilitation starts, I don't know if there's gonna be a spot for him in the rotation. I I don't know that I agree. Okay. And I call me pessimistic, okay? It's perfectly possible. You're pessimistic. Let's look at it in another way though. Dean Kramer has now the opportunity to go off and get better, right? To go do the rehab assignments. And there's no rush to bring him back. There's no rush to bring him back until everybody else that's in front of him that you just, you know, alluded to falters. And so Kramer now puts himself in the position to being able to come in and shore up what will obviously be a really rough rotation, right? He now has the time to take a deep breath, get himself right, have the fans and the organization sour on the other fifth starter mm-hmm. candidates. And he has the opportunity later to show up and pitch after putting distance between him and the short spring training and everything else. I think this actually positions him pretty well. All right. So I, I hear what you're saying. Here's where my my negative comes in. Yes, you're right. Like it'll give him some time to basically figure things out. But you know, if I'm looking at the 40-man roster, like, the spots are eventually going to have to come. So, like, for example, if I take a look at the depth chart for the 40-man roster, for pitchers that are currently on the 40-man roster that are not in the major leagues right now, you've got Dia Hall, Zach Lothar, Kyle Bradish, and Kevin Smith. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Keegan Aiken is probably not, you know, Zach Lothar, but he's probably equal to Kevin Smith. But, like, You've got to still get you still got to get folks like Grace Rodriguez. You've got to get other folks onto the forty man roster eventually. I just feel like Toads my goats. No, I I I, I, I just feel you're like right. you're right. Like he is going to, in essence, you know, be able to kind of stretch it out. But this puts him into a a very precarious situation with the forty man roster. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. I mean, I guess the real question for me becomes not a decision, but between the other guys the other pitchers in the 40 man roster, but would you rather see Kramer later in the season or DJ Stewart on the 40 man? Oh, would you rather, see I would rather see, would you rather see Odor? Oh, right? I'd rather see Kramer. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point. It's the aspect of there are various members that are present on the, on the 40 man roster right now that are position players that you're just like, eh, like I don't really want to see that individual. I mean, um, so yeah, I agree with that. I'm like, I do think there is 40 man roster flexibility um for dean kramer but eventually you got to do something um but i agree with you like you know things have a tendency to work out there are going to be other relief pitchers that are going to squander their chances as it were um and we'll see what happens is the best way to put it but uh you kind of feel bad for dean kramer is the best way to put it um i agree with you like it was probably gonna be really really ugly to begin the season um in the majors but yeah who would have thought that other pitchers that have been doing well this first you know week 
would have actually done as well as they have. So we'll get into that later on, but my heart goes out to Dean Kramer a little bit. My heart is also going out right now to John Means, who left the game with, as it turns out, forearm tightness. Oh! Yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's um, that's disgusting and terrible um, and, and really, really bad. Um, wow. Well, we'll see what happens, but um, that generally is a really bad sign of things to come. Well, hey, Dean, Dean Kramer's going to have a chance soon. Um, I don't think so. Um, but you know what that probably does mean? That means Matt Harvey's going to be coming up anytime. Oh my gosh. Terrible. <laughs> Jake's like, why do I do this podcast with you? <laughs> well, um, that was fun for the medical wing standpoint. Um, in terms of some breaking news uh on Bird's Eye View. Um, you just watched us hurt in real time. Yeah. I mean, you can literally uh just my whole cup of chin is gone now. <laughs> <laughs> um well with that. Why don't we go ahead and, uh, you know, stretch out our forearms a little bit and uh, go around the bases and uh, get a feel for this first week of baseball and and try to figure out what we're going to do for the next six months, uh, potentially without John Means. Um, And uh, we'll be right back. All right, so um, kicking us off at first base, we've got our um, our first topic is going to be on opening day. So, Jake, I know you're extremely passionate about opening day. It's, uh, again, something that I consider on, on both events, I think, to be a holiday, as it were. Um, talk a to me about holy day. Talk to me about some of your impressions of opening day um, and the game itself and the ambiance, as it were. Because, again, like we were talking about at the stadium, it's not something we've had in a while. Again, it didn't happen in 2020, 21. And even 2022, you know, this is the first time it's happening. Um, so it's it's been some time. You know, the last time we were there was in 2019. Um, let me know what your impressions were. Yeah, I mean, just like, again, just like we were talking about the stadium, it was returned to some normalcy. Um, but it was also returned to some normalcy, I think, for the whole day. You know, like we talked about last week, for you and I, it's really just like a, a full-on day, right? We start our morning with brunch in the same place every year we go out you know the same couple local watering holes you know we sit in just about the same section every time you know like it's it's a day built on routine and so it was really nice just to kind of get back to that um let me take a quick second actually and i want to wander off into a tangent here to talk about attendance um so as of sunday they were still hawking opening day seats um, on mass and, you know, it's clear that they were having trouble selling tickets. The attendance was announced at 44,461, 44,461. And then after that, it was always comma a sellout. I think it's garbage. They didn't sell out. Camden Yard's new capacity with uh, removing all those seats in left field is now 45,971, which means that there are just over 1,500 empty unsold tickets for opening day. I get it. They've, they've, they've made this particular bed, but don't lie to me about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I look at the situation and, you know, I think to myself, 
you know, at the very last few days, they were marketing group sales is the best way to put it. So, you know, I don't think there were many single game tickets open. I think they had large swaths available in various sections is the best way to put it. Um, I think they were close to a sellout is the best way to put it. I don't think that they were that far off. Um, I think there are a lot of people just like in any opening day where there's open seats that somehow don't make it into the, into the stadium as it were, because they got hammered is the best way to put it. Um, so overall, I, I think it was a situation like looking around the ballpark. It was the first time in quite some time that it kind of felt like a full stadium. And I think, you know, Brandon Hyde mentioned this. He's like, you could feel the energy in the crowd. The, the team played off of it. You know, it certainly wasn't um, like a playoff game or anything like that. But it's like we've talked about before in previous seasons. It's the one game of the year where it kind of feels and has that semblance of being like it used to be. Oh, no doubt. And, and you know, get, give the crowd some credit. I mean, even at 25,000 strong or 20,000 strong, when the when the fans are into it, it's a fun place to be. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, but I, I just, you know, it's it's something that's going to come up, right? Attendance is going to be miserable this year. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I get it. This is just, it's a thing. The Orioles have chosen that they're going to do this. They, they're going to have to wear it. That That's fine. Last year, they averaged, you know, just under 10,000 fans per game, which was, you know, 40% lower than the AL average. That's cool. It's going to be worse this year. That's fine. Just don't lie to me. That's all. Anyway. I was um, actually pretty impressed that, like, in the second game, um, playing against the Brewers, that we were at 11,000. I'm like, because I was expecting it to be closer to, like, 8,000. So, I don't know. Like, I agree with you that the numbers are going to be pretty bad to, to begin the season. But, like... I look at it and I'm like, you know, we'll see what happens is the best way to put it. Like, I'm expecting them to, you know, I'm hoping they can just kind of maintain attendance to what it was last year is the best way to put it. Um, and just kind of cold, somewhat even. Um, and again, we're going to have some great attendance this weekend. Um, there's going to be a lot of people coming into town. Um, and it'll be great. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes on bikes. All right. Uh, opening day. I, it was It was a great time. Right. Um, and and I think that in addition to the game, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec, um, it, for me, it was more about being there with other people. Right. Being there amongst the people that are passionate about baseball. I love being in that crowd. It was also the opportunity to, to be together with with friends and family. You know, you were there. My wife was there. My dad was there. Uh, Sarah and I ran into a friend that we hadn't seen in like 10 years um, you know, you and I ran down to Legends Park in the fifth inning to do a, a Orioles Twitter get together. Yeah, we got to talk um, about that. I, 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 as an introverted individual, and you as the extroverted individual, I kept looking around at the Twitter get together, and I kept thinking to myself, "My God, I'm old. Like I'm extremely old. Um, old beyond the aspect. I'm just sitting there as an individual." who's I think coming up on 10 years uh, on the Twitter. Cause we started one year past the, the year we actually started. And I'm like, this is why I don't get the memes and everything that are going about because I'm the old man in the room is the best way to put it. Nah, none of that. None of that matters. Nobody, nobody can see our age past the bird icon. It doesn't matter. Like I said, and I, there are other people out there that, you know, are equally on the Orioles Twitters. Um, you know, the respective Orioles King, um, as we call it from, for, for Ryan Blake was organizing the whole thing and, you know, shepherding people around. But yes, being surrounded by a bunch of 20 year old boys, it was like being in American university all over again. Maybe that's why I felt at home. Maybe, that's probably maybe why. that's what was right about it. Yeah. 
just felt so right. We've got to do more of that. So, uh, Ryan, great job putting that together. But Orioles Twitter, uh, when you're in the house, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how many followers you got, put the uh, put the bat signal up and, and get people together in the fifth inning in Legends Park. So we need to create a light um, that is going to be positioned in uh, Legends Park. Um, and if we're going to do the bat signal, we are going to need a silhouette of Matt Harvey. Uh, and then we're going to project Jeez. Matt Harvey directly onto the warehouse. And when you see Matt Harvey projected onto the warehouse, it is your indication to come get drunk in Legend Spark and meet other folks on Orioles Twitter. I'm really becoming concerned that this podcast is going to turn into a Beetlejuice situation. We're going to say his name three times, and then he's going to be in the rotation. Uh, you didn't hear? There was an announcement just made that Matt Harvey has now been added to the 40-man roster. And they're going to take what's left over of... Uh, John means forearm, and they're going to put it in Matt Harvey. Anyway, opening day, as we were discussing, was wonderful, uh, but it it was good to be amongst uh, the people. I think the the people uh, really, you know, made the difference for me. And again, it's just like, you know, doing this show, uh, we've talked about it entirely. It's about building community. It's about being together with people that are passionate about the same thing that you're passionate about. And that made it fun for me. Um, and the other thing that made it fun was that, you know, the the game was good as well, right? It was a bit of a pitcher's duel, but the, the story offensively, at least, was the, um, you know, Cedric Mullins hitting the ball at the right time. And also, holy geez, Jorge Mateo is really fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, coming back to that that slide across home and everything like that, I mean, just, just there's just that aspect of... Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use Mateo um, going forward in terms of opportunistic pitch pitch running, but also just you know being able to basically push him on the base pass. But yeah, I mean it was a really good game, um, really you know you know back and forth, and just really a lot of you know just really interesting plays, uh, a lot of hard hit balls that the you know Brewers just had, had a tendency to pick up. But yeah, just a, a fun game overall. Um, you know, some of the other things that I noticed through it was you know just sitting in Canyon Yards. Um, you know, I, I felt like the speaker system, um, was not that great. Um, and I think the other thing that we, we didn't talk about, um, and it's not even in the show notes, but I think we have to, you know, address the, the awkwardness in the room is you and I talked about this. I still don't like the whole idea of the coasting at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, um, where they're basically in between evenings, having two people basically do the minor league hosting, um, at Camden Yards. It just... You and I have talked about this before. Like, baseball is all about white noise. And I feel like that takes away from the white noise aspect of it. Here, here's my objection. To, I agree. It, it felt weird. And, and maybe, maybe this is because we haven't seen it before. And, you know, five years from now, we won't be able to imagine the ballpark. I don't like it. change. <laughs> what I will say, and this isn't the start of a joke, right? The punchline isn't the Orioles are a minor league team. It felt very minor league baseball to me, right? And and if you go to an Ironbirds game, you get that same kind of in-between innings presentation by somebody holding the mic, trying to engage you. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's the right thing, right? Maybe that is what makes family entertainment or makes the ball game more of an entertainment experience. Maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe the numbers indicate. Uh, but for me... Uh, I, it missed the mark because it it made the baseball game feel like something that it's not, which is that you don't have to give me a production. I'm already in my mecca enjoying baseball. Yeah. And again, even the standpoint of like, 
even when I go to like Aberdeen or I go to Bowie and stuff like that, and I'm watching them do this hosting routine, it almost seemed more polished at the minor league stadiums than it did at Camden Yards, um, which either just means, you know, they just handed them a microphone and say, this is what we're going to do. This is the script that we're doing, but there was no practice of it or rehearsal of it. It was more just like, get out there and do it. It just didn't come off well, is the best way to describe it. It, it kind of reminded me of like a Tyler Wells start. Um, it's just like, well, we're just going to throw people out there and see what happens. Yeah. No, I, and again, I'm, I'm going to give it every chance to have it be something I fall in love with, right? Uh, I'm a sucker for plenty of stuff, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into it with open mind, but but not really. I think it kind of sucks. Yeah, uh, it it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, anything else that you kind of got walking around the ballpark? I mean, obviously there were some signage changes in regards to kind of the new um, broadcasting brand with like 98 rock and WBL radio coming up there. Um, I know we walked by it, but um, I know there was a lot of talk about um, the Jimmy seafood um, booth over called in left field. There was a monster line getting to it where people wanted to try that out. So that'll be interesting to see um, if that continues on. Um, anything else that you came across kind of walking around the lower bowl and that you thought was interesting? Not really. The only other thing I would mention is, you know, how the how the new wall looked. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to look weird. It wouldn't right? be but an Orioles can... podcast if we weren't talking about the wall. Well, we we, we saw it in person. Right. Yep. And and I got to be honest, like, it looks fine. Yeah, it, it looks fine. But say so your, I, I think, your wife you know, couldn't come... even tell a difference. She's just like, did it change? Right. Come five years from now, we you know we won't even remember what the old dimensions look like. It it doesn't feel unnatural. Right. And uh, you know, they they added square footage to the park and and they did it in a way that that seems organic. I, I thought it was fine. So, in uh, one other piece of notes, I know we were extremely busy on opening day, but we did overlook one factor that we I think we're going to need to try to correct in a future game that you and I attend. Dempsey's has reopened. Yes. So I reached out to the Orioles about this yes. because not only, uh, you know, Dempsey's was closed during during COVID. And so I was curious, will Dempsey's be open? It's only reopened on game days. Correct. From the ballpark. Correct. So you can't run and grab lunch there anymore. You can't go there before or after the game or whatnot. It is strictly a ballpark experience. But you're right. Dempsey's. I'm on record as being pro Dempsey's. The food is not outrageously expense, expensive for a ballpark experience. And, uh, you know, it's fine. It's a good area just to kind of quietly go into and just kind of, you know, enjoy the atmosphere of being in the stadium. Uh, but at the same time, just have some quiet conversation is the best way to put it. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Hey, I, you know, pro tip, uh, single admission doubleheader, hit Dempsey's in between. Absolutely. That's that is definitely a, a pro tip. Um, so we spent a good time at first base. We're going to go to second base and probably get stranded there. Um, but, um, yeah, so coming off that topic, um, runners in scoring position is a major problem. You know, we are currently four for 47. Um, last night's game was brutal. Like it was absolutely gosh, awful bottom of the eighth bases loaded zero outs. And as soon as they load the bases with zero outs, I'm like, please don't do what I think you're going to do. Please don't <laughs> do a percent scoring chance. Please don't do what I think you're going to do. And as soon as the first strikeout happens, then I'm like, this is going to go either two ways. Either they're all going to strike out or they're going to hit into a double play right now. And they all struck out. Um, but by gosh, I mean, it is the bottom eighth and, and the ninth and even as well 
was just brutal. Um, it was just gut wrenching and just a, a a classic example of just a gaping issue with the lineup um, at this moment for the Baltimore Orioles. I can't. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Can, can I? Can I just say? Small sample size. Small sample size. Small sample sample size. So you're right. Everything you just said is right. And everything that you just said feels right. Yep. And everything that you just said, I think, will bear out by the end of the season. Yep. But again, we're only talking about what feels right versus what we have enough to be able to draw you know, conclusions about. Yes, scoring position has been a problem thus far this season. Between you and me, yeah, it'll probably be a problem all season. But so far, it's been fine. And and it's not the only conclusion that we can jump to, right? Right now, we have a situation with the pitching where the starting pitching isn't going very deep into the game because, dot, 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 because we didn't have a real spring training, right? Across the league, people are being really protective of their starters. My question to you, Scott, is when are the Orioles – I'm sorry, when is the rest of the league going to start stretching out their starters – and we still get four, you know, uh, 4.2 inning uh, outings from the guys that aren't good enough to pitch on other teams. I feel like in the next two weeks, it's going to happen. I mean, we were supposed to see that tonight with John Means going to 80 pitches. Um, and I think it would have been a, a, in a matter of, you know, we'll call it by, you know, somewhere in April 20th plus, we were going to start to see pitchers go six to seven innings. Um, I, I, I don't know what to tell you besides, like, I think... You know, even with the news tonight of John Means going out, I think we're going to see a bunch of, at best case scenarios, if our starting pitchers go five innings, we should be celebrating, is the best way to put it. Um, and being like, that is a really good start that we actually went five innings. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. I think you're right. But again, we're talking about things that feel right and not things that we've been able to observe yet. All right, let me... Let me frame another thing that feels right. Cedric Mullins, center fielding uh, silver slugger, is going to reclaim his title, clearly, from what we've seen over the first five games, right? Mm, So, yeah, Cedric Mullins had a nice game on opening day. Um, It seems like he had a nice game again on Tuesday. I'm just not convinced that Cedric Mullins is going to be a silver slugger again this year. But Scott, he hit a grand slam. He did hit a grand slam. He is going to have a good season again. Um, There's a big difference between having a good season and being a silver slugger. Again, Cedric Mullins had a, an amazing season last year, but there is a reason why there is not a majority of players that go 30 to 30, 30 to 30 back to back in multiple seasons. So Jake, I cannot say that Cedric Mullins is going to reclaim the Silver Slugger. I'm convinced he's going to hit a Grand Slam every five games. That's what I've seen, Scott, and that is the conclusion I'm drawing. I, I love it, and especially if he can hit off a of Southpaws, that'd be great. Um, but yes, um, again, I, I think it's one of those, I posted this on Twitter of like, I had a lot of concerns about Cedric Mullins in spring training and even in that first game of the race series. I'm like, something's off. Um, and then watching him on opening day and just watching the bat speed and how he repositioned his bat to the plate, I was just like, I was stupid. That was dumb. Like he's perfectly fine. He's just getting he's getting into the feel for it again. 
Um, so I've got no concerns about Cedric Mullins. I just think that over a large enough sample size that Cedric Mullins probably is not going to be able to repeat the performance that he did last year. He'll come close, um, but we'll call it maybe 80% of the performance that he had last year, which again is not bad whatsoever, but there'll be, there'll be a slight decrease is the best way to put it. All right. Let me, um, let me ask you this. As we talk about, you know, conclusions that can be drawn on this small sample size, I'm afraid, Scott, that I may have put something out into the universe that is here to haunt us. Okay. One of my predictions from our our prediction uh, spot in, in last week's show was that the new left field wall dimensions would hurt the Orioles worse than it hurts the other team. Uh you know, Trey Mancini clanked one off the left field, the new left field wall. Um, have I ruined this team's chances to compete in the new dimensions at Oriole Park? Jake, when have any of your predictions been correct in the past? All right. Well, that does make me feel better. Yeah. That does make me feel better. Yeah. So, I, again, I, I wouldn't worry about it whatsoever. Um, it was actually funny on opening day, like, no balls really went to left field. No, no none did. And I was just like, okay, like eventually it's going to happen, um, but nothing happened. So I, I think in a large enough sample size, especially when we get into, we'll call it summer and not, you know, spring, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens in left field. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about this whatsoever. All right. Well, what do you say we go into third base? And at third base, I want to tell you, Scott, things haven't been that bad. Right. I know that we just talked about the fact that um, our pitching is you know, going to tear our hearts out of our forearms, that um, runners in scoring position is a, is a problem. But of the first five games, you know, the Orioles are one and four. And is that with good? The exception, with the exception of a um, with the exception of an eight to nothing blowout, games have been pretty competitive. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And like you're, you're right. There were several one-run games is the best way to put it. Even Tuesday night's game was a one-run game. But as an Orioles fan and as an Orioles fan for really bad teams, I've said this before of like good teams or we'll call it lucky teams have a tendency to win those one-run games. Um, and the fact that the Orioles haven't so early in the season tells me they're not a very good team. Um, so, yes, you're right. Um you would think that eventually the Orioles are going to potentially balance that out and be like, well, if they lose three one-one run games, then eventually they're going to win three uh, one-run games. But in reality, that's not the way it works. If you're a bad team, you're a bad team. You're going to, in essence, lose more one-one games than you are going to win it, um, based off of Pythagorean, um, you know, you know, record keeping. Um, you're you're a hundred percent right in that. I think I think what I draw from this very small very small sample size, size that I'm looking at is that if we can continue to play these you know close games in which the Orioles appear to be a team that can compete in a major league game right even if they come out more often on the losing side than they did the winning side then we're not looking at a team that's as likely to be a 54 team win as we are to be a, a losing team that is somewhat more interesting to watch really cuz that's the most we can hope for, right? 20, 2022 is already a lost season before it started. What we can hope for is maybe it won't be so bad. 
So, um, so I get what I you're saying, we, and I am not going to philosophically participate in this in this logic. <laughs> is the best way to put it, because I've I've done this enough as an Orioles podcaster, and I get where you're coming from. It's just like, well, if we just do this, then this will improve. But what happens is, um, you know, the Orioles right now are struggling with runners in scoring position, and we'll call it offense in general. Uh, and they're being buoyed by a very you know decent performance from from the bullpen at this given time. However, um, eventually the Orioles are going to start hitting again, and at that point, the bullpen is going to, in essence, not be very good. Um, are you saying that four inning starts are not sustainable? I'm saying that four inning starts, especially with John Means potentially probably going on the the DL or the IL, is going to do what it did last year where the Orioles completely collapsed into absolutely a gosh awful team when John Means went on the injured reserve or, or, or on the IL. Um, I am not going to philosophically participate in a world in which John Means is hurt. Well, um, prepare yourself for a, a, a recurrence back into 2021 um, and, and everything that was, was awful about it. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I, I get what you're saying, you know, looking at it, there was some kind of competitive games, even Tuesday night's game, was one of those ones that you at the end of the game being like, I would have rather we were blown out than be than lose the game in that fashion. But you're right, there were several competitive games, even the first game in Tampa, um, where means lost. Um, it was a really close game, and you thought the Orioles might have a chance to basically do it. Um, I, I do think that you're going to see a prevalence of one run or two run losses, um, a lot more often than you're going to see one win or two win wins, is the best way to put it. Yep, I, I think you're right. I, I just the only thing we can hope for is is degrees. But you know, Scott, while we talk about things that went right, and it rolls into the point that you just made, let's think about it this way: starters who led in innings. Hey, Jordan Lyles is eating up innings just as desired. Yeah. So I, it was interesting because like a lot of people gave Jordan Lyles, we'll call it crap. He gave five earned runs in five innings pitch. And I agree, like, that's not what I want to see. But if we're being honest with ourselves, like, the one home run that was hit opposite field at the Trop, um, that was a two-run homer to basically take it from from three runs to five runs, would not have been a home run in, I think it was like 24 stadiums. So it was only like six stadiums in Major League Baseball. So I kind of look at it and I'm like, yeah, a five-inning start with five runs is not good. But if it was a five-inning start in three runs, that's a whole different scenario, as it were. So again, I know I'm kind of painting outside lines and doing exactly what I'm not supposed to be doing from what I was just talking about from a logical standpoint. But hey, that's what I am. I'm an Orioles fan. That's really funny that you went there because I was um, I was being a negative Nelly and you, you just uh, – you went the opposite direction. I, I hope – Scotty, in all seriousness, that throughout this season, we can podcast and not wish cast. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, my wish is that the Orioles are more competitive. Yeah. Right. Not even, a, you know, we can't hope for a winning club. All we can hope for is competitive. Competitive and positive developments. But yeah, I mean, the Lyles performance was, you're right. He got five innings and that's great. A lot of the other peripherals were not good, um, including case per nine, walks per nine. And then most importantly, it was the hard hit balls which I believe matched a line from Abodo Jimenez. So not a name you want to share. Um, e- e- either that or, you know, any of the nutshells guys. Yeah. So we'll see what happens out of Jordan Lyles. Um, 
he may be your ace for a while is the best way to put it. Oof. All right. On that positive note, Scott, I want to take us home. Yeah. So home plate, you know, on opening day, um, you know, right before everything was starting off, um, there was an announcement made by the Baltimore Orioles um, indicating that the state of Maryland had agreed to a new $1.2 billion package to supplement revitalization of Maryland-based stadiums, including both M&T and Camden Yards. Um, the bill that was signed by the Maryland legislator, then signed in by Governor Hogan, um, I think it was it was yesterday, actually, he actually signed it in, um, allows the Maryland Standing Authority to borrow this money and increase its borrowing limit from $235 million up to $1.2 billion. Um, and again, it, this basically be taken out in a bond format. Um, and basically, if teams were to basically, um, you know, loan money out to make repairs and, and basically make these improvements, um, you know, those bonds would have to be paid off or those leases would have to be paid off, um, you know, before the, the teams would basically um, want to end their leases and or move. Um, so, you know, again, it came out to the aspect of Johnny Angelos came out. Wanted to let people know about this, you know, made this announcement in terms of saying what investments we're making. Um, and it was really interesting. I mean, it was the basis of, you know, it's a shared standpoint of $600 million for both stadiums. It can't be more than that for Camden Yards. It can't be more than that for M&T. Um, and it was an interesting standpoint of like, I completely get it in terms of, you know, people who are like, why are we in essence um, financing and facilitating the aspect of money for billionaires. And I get that argument. I completely agree with that argument. Um, but I don't know. Like, it's it's an interesting scenario as it relates to Baltimore City. We, we've talked about this as it relates to um, the state legislator in Baltimore City. Let's call it the state legislator and also the governor have not done a great job at funding the city as a whole and are pumping money into it. Um, so to see, we'll call it $1.2 billion floated into southern Baltimore um, in the future doesn't seem like it's a bad idea is the best way to put it. But again, Jake, I know there's a lot of positives and negatives around here. Um, as a kind of a Baltimore resident um, and, and homeowner, what do you think about this? Like, what is your general impression when you see this announcement made? It was also a really weird situation because, you know, this bill wasn't, we'll call it highlighted or publicly discussed. It kind of just came out of the blue over the weekend. Um and it just kind of popped up. Um, so what are your thoughts on this end? I mean, I guess my my two questions are, what is that money going to do? Mm-hmm. And why yeah. are we doing this, right? And so um, I think the why is easier, right? Because the Maryland Stadium Authority is concerned that both the Orioles and the Ravens might not renew their leases without some sort of sweetener, right? Obviously, Camden Yards is 30 years old now, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And even Raven Stadium, I think, opened in 1998, right? So it's it's not a spring chicken either. And so I have a hard time envisioning the Ravens picking up and, and leaving town, right? Um, boy, howdy, can you imagine a uh, Baltimore football fan base that lost not one but two teams? Woof. Um, so I don't really see either team leaving, to be honest. You know, all the jokes about the Orioles moving to, to Nashville, yeah, I don't, I don't really buy it. I, I, I therefore think that the question is more like, 
what is this money going toward? And, and an interesting quote from the Maryland Stadium Authority uh, came out and said, they, being the stadiums, are in really good conditions for their age, but need pretty good reinvestment to extend their lives for as long as possible. It's better to reinvest in what we have instead of building new stadiums. We think we can prevent that with what we put in this bill. So I do buy that. I think that does make a lot of sense. I mean, if we take a look at other stadiums that have been built um, in, in other areas, both football stadiums and even Major League Baseball stadiums, they have run close to, close to a billion dollars plus mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. So I do agree that rehabilitating them um, makes a ton of sense on a economic basis um, going forward. So I, I do buy that argument from a, a, a logistical basis. I also think it's really amazing to me, um, you know, just from a logistics standpoint, that the Maryland Stadium only already only had two hundred thirty-five million dollars as borrowing limit. It seems like a really small number. Um, as a person that looks at the cost of capital buildings all the time, um, that is a drop in the bucket. And I know people are like, "It's two hundred million dollars." Like that's a lot of money. It's just like two hundred million dollars does not go very much. I mean, per square foot, a commercial um, real estate standpoint is typically going at like two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars per square foot right now. Um, so that is not a lot of square footage is the best way to put it for $235 million. Well, the, the $235 million is clearly right. Uh, legislation that hadn't been updated. In a completely really great time. Completely great. Yes. But my, my question is what does $600 million buy in investments that that money is set aside for each of the teams to be able to put it into the stadium specifically so that they can make more money. Correct. Right. Um, and so with the Orioles, because of what's going on on the field, we're looking at, you know, having more concerts, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I look at with the $600 million is what does Canyon Yard's sound system look like? You know? Correct. What What is going to be done as far as uh, being able to hear Paul McCartney or the other the other concerts better Who? in the future? <laughs> yeah, some guy. <laughs> The other thing I, I wonder is you look at our stadium and you look at some of the newer stadiums, right? And spaces where people can spend money is is really important, right? And so you look at, you know, what they did in some of the upper decks to create those tables rather than seats. You look at the effort that the Orioles put into putting the rooftop bar up in center field. What can the Orioles do to reimagine the space in such a way that it'll be easier for them to make more money at Camden Yards? I'm I'm really curious. Like, okay, you just you just got a six million you know six hundred million dollar credit card. What are you going to do with it? And I I think it comes back down to yes, inside the stadium is one thing. The other standpoint is. We'll call it the surrounding area. So obviously the the Maryland Stadium Authority also owns the entire parking complex between Camden Yards and Raven Stadium. And I am also wondering, is it a matter where we'll call it the area is going to see some additional revitalization going in there to basically turn that into a gathering area, both for pregames of the Orioles games and also pregames for Ravens games in order to entice people to come to that section of town um, in order to basically make it, you know, a more interesting standpoint. I mean, as we slowly walked back on opening day from, um, you know, from Camden Yards, we we park at Horseshoe often. Um, and I'm looking at that area. And obviously there are, we'll call it 
buildings going up and as it relates to top golf and stuff like that too but i also look across the street at game who was a bar that was opening up right during we'll call it the heyday of the buckle up birds era um, and that is now going out of business after covid so i do wonder if it's going to be a situation where maybe the maryland state authority is going to say you know if harbor place for example is now decrepit and is no longer going to be a gathering place for people um, as a source of tourism and for people come in can we turn that area into a tourist attraction um, to pull people into both the stadiums from a concert aspect and everything like that going forward as well? Um, I think it's just Baltimore doesn't have a lot going for it. I think maybe the mayor, maybe the legislator and the Maryland state authority is looking and saying, hey, this is all we have to basically work with. Let's drop a bunch of money into it to see if we can basically push people into the right section. All right. Fair enough. Here's my question. Yep. Does it work? No. I mean, it, it comes back down to, we can look at this from a historical basis. And again, it's not just the base uh, standpoint of you know Maryland and Maryland sports and our mainland stadiums, but we can look at this as a whole um, and have seen as it relates to other governments and other government agents pumping money into stadium projects, you generally don't get your money back. Um, so, I get the idea behind it. I just don't think that there is a sound enough strategy to basically make it work. And I I would love to be wrong about that. I think it but, depends on what your what your definition of success is. Do you think it keeps both teams in Baltimore? So I, I think it I think it definitely keeps both teams in Baltimore, but I don't know necessarily if the money was necessary to keep both teams in Baltimore. So yes, I mean, I think it is um I think it's a security blanket, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary is the best way to put it. So I don't think it's going to increase spending in terms of that area. I don't think you're going to see an additional amount of people come into that area. Um it's kind of like we talked about before, whenever a stadium is built or infrastructure is put in, I think there are probably better ways from an infrastructure spending standpoint to spend 1.2 billion dollars. Um, and equally so, I mean, it comes back to this to matter of I'm equally kind of disturbed on this basis of, yes, the Maryland Stadium Authority had to make changes as it relates to, um, you know, increasing their borrowing limit from $235 million to potentially $1.2 billion. But it also really concerns me that they're taking this directly out of funding um, through various sources, including part of the education fund. Um so again, you kind of rob Peter to pay Paul, and I just don't think it's going to pay its dividends out uh, on a long-term basis. I'll, I'll, if, if you know, we'll call it the greater Maryland Stadium area down there in terms of Raven Stadium and where a parking Camden Yard starts to host a massive amount of concerts and events going forward in a post-COVID world, I will come back and say I was wrong about this. I'm extremely skeptical. Is the best way to put it that there's going to be enough done to draw the greater Baltimore metropolitan area, specifically Baltimore County, um, continuously into that area is the best way to put it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do my best to stimulate the local economy on June 12th. Here, here. <laughs> All right. Anything else uh, that we can, we can uh, work through as far as this announcement is uh, of reinvestment and reimagination of the Camden Yards complex. I think you're right. I think it's the S- standpoint of it'll be interesting to see again the Orioles lease ends in 2023 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Maryland Stadium Authority is going to announce um, in the months and years ahead in terms of what they're going to do to basically revitalize, you know, Oriole Park and Camden Yards and how that helps to extend the lease going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. Again, I have no concerns about the Ravens. Um, I have really no concerns about the Baltimore Orioles lease, but it'll be interesting to see what does the package look like to say, here's the package that the Stadium Authority has agreed to. Here's the package that the Orioles have agreed to in order for them to sign another, we'll call it 15-year lease. Um, and I think that's going to be intriguing, is the best way to put it. And remember, now the Baltimoreans are back, you can hear all of their thoughts about how the government shouldn't be spending money on baseball and football stadiums. Uh, gentlemen, this is your cue. Take it away. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, with that, um, you know, we are less than a week into the Orioles season, which means it's a great opportunity for us to determine who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly this week in Orioles baseball. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week. And Scott, my good is none other than Keegan Aiken. And that that feels weird. It sounds weird. But hear me out. Keegan Aiken pitched five and two-thirds innings in relief over two games and had pretty good peripherals. He had two good outings. And the thing about Aiken is whether he's a starter, whether he's a reliever, we need him to be a useful baseball player if this team is going to be good. And this week, Keegan Aiken was a useful baseball player. And I think that's worth celebrating. He's my good for this week. I agree. Keegan Aiken was uh, really impressive. Um, And I really like some of the quotes that came out where he's just like, coming out of the bullpen, I kind of felt it. It kind of had that Hunter Harvey vibe. I'll be interested to see if this is a small sample size like we talked about before, but Keegan Aiken looked completely different than a picture that I have seen um, in quite some time. So You know you know what looked really good? What's that? His forearm. His forearm did good, good. Um, so mine is going to go to Anthony Santander. Um, he did. He had some amazing at-bats. He had some amazing power production. Um, posting a 256 weighted runs created plus, um, 385 average, 579 on base percentage, 692 slugging, uh, Anthony Santander is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is trying to get traded out of Baltimore um, in order to open up another outfield spot. So Santander needs to continue what he is doing um, and just driving the baseball with all the power um, so that we can open up another outfield spot in the near future. So uh, keep it going. Uh, please make the queen proud, as it were. He needs to be our most valuable soon to be not Oriole. Absolutely. No question about it. All right, my bad this week goes to the Tyler Wells start. And and I say that because I really want this to work. I really, really want this to work. Tyler Wells is an intriguing guy, working his way back to being a starter after some setbacks with some health, with, with the COVID-shortened season. Didn't work out on Sunday. Whew, it did not look did, good. Did not work out whatsoever. <laughs> But the fact that I want it to be true so bad is, I think, why it hurts. So this week didn't look good. In fact, it was bad. Yeah, and there wasn't anything, like, from a watching standpoint. It wasn't like it was like, oh, he got got lucky there. Like, we are watching certain pitchers pitch, and you're just like, there's something there. 
like even if it doesn't work out we're like there's yeah. something there there wasn't anything from that well start that you're just like there's something there like and he's just getting unlucky it was just like all right like this is what we decided to use over kyle bradish um well, you know, with the low stakes of the season yeah. and with my emotional investment, which I admit freely, I'm willing to give it a couple starts to see if it gets better. I, I agree with that. And that's what I actually posted on Twitter of like, I know people were saying, why are we not bringing up Kyle Bradish? I'd be willing to give Tyler Wells at least another two starts, like minimum two starts, maybe even three starts before I bring up Bradish. Um, if it doesn't work out after three or four starts, I'm going to bring up Kyle Bradish. This is the best way to put it. He's ready. He, we can bring him up. It, it's time. He's on the 40-man roster. Um, so Tyler Wells has a short leash here, is the best way to put it. He might have a little bit longer leash now if there's another spot open in the rotation. Um, but yeah, Tyler Wells did not look good whatsoever in terms of peripherals. Um, so we'll see what happens when he's not playing against maybe a raised team. Um, but yeah, if he's going to go against the Yankees, it's not going to get much better. Um, my bad goes to Robinson Torinos. Again, just... He did a really, I think, a nice job behind the plate. Um, it's amazing to watch him behind the plate from a pitch framing standpoint compared to Severino. Um, but just at the plate with the runners and scoring position standpoint, it just is this like open hole and like a gaping wound. Um, there was various moments in that in that race series where he came up at pivotal times and you're just like, this is going to end really poorly. Um, so that's the only thing. Like if we're talking about runners and scoring position, I think Chirinos was... At the very, you know, he had a lot of bad moments during that race series. So he gets my bad. It is an asterisk on it. I do think he did a really nice job behind the plate. Um, but at the plate, Torinos is kind of a black hole right now for me. I can't wait for him to be a serviceable backup. Yep. Yeah, agree. Agree. All right. My ugly is going to go to aesthetically ugly and that is this the baltimore orioles started the season and expected to be taken seriously wearing their o's cap and you know i am on record for saying it's crap it's a crap cap um and if you're going to talk about what was truly aesthetically ugly this week that's it for me yeah uh, so, Jake, my ugly for the this week, you know, it originally was going to go into this aspect of quick takes and, and small sample sizes. And everybody um, right now is a keyboard commando, as it were, in terms of, you know, blaming Elias for this or saying, like, the season's over. Like, folks, the season was already over before <laughs> before <laughs> anything started. Like, there isn't anything surprising here. Um, you know, you can yell about Elias. You can yell about some of the decisions that are being made. Uh, it we are so early into the season. Like I can't emphasize enough. Like we haven't even ended the second series. We're going to be ending it tonight. There's such a long season ahead of us folks that you're going to need to pace yourself on that basis. But I think if we're truly talking about an ugly, I think it's got to be just, there hasn't been a lot of good news and it continues to kind of rain is the best way to describe it and rain and rain and rain. You know, you saw, you know, Ali Rutschman get injured. We talked about it earlier in the episode He's still not, you know, quite there to get to Norfolk and start producing. Um, so that's your number one prospect, both in Major League Baseball and your organization. You're just like, okay, what is that going to happen? And then tonight, um, you know, John Means um, getting injured um, with, you know, former stream. Hopefully, it's not a long term situation. I'm um, really more concerned about that than than I should be because, you know, with the velocity dip, that's generally not a good sign. Um, so Jake, I, I'm left with the aspect of doing what we do all the time from bird's eye view, 
which is uh, bringing up um, old topics uh, and old shtick, as it were. Um, and we're reminded of this kind of old shtick basis um, from our friend Derek Arnold at Utah Street Report. Um, and you can follow Derek and everybody over at Utah Street Report at Utah ST Report. Um, and, and Jake, it's, you know, just the classic aspect of every town has its up and downs, sometimes ups outnumber the downs, but not in Birdland. It's just really sad, depressing. You see other teams starting to pull up their prospects and seeing them start an opening day. There just doesn't seem to be anything of happiness in Birdland. Just when you think it might finally turn the corner, it just keeps raining. And it just keeps raining. You know, some some fans get to watch professional sports for fun. <laughs> we get to dr- watch professional sports to drink. <laughs> it's just so... Just a gut punch is the best way to put it. Um, in terms of like, there are so few things that you can enjoy as a fan of uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And it just like rips it from your hands like, nope, you can't have that. Um, so yeah, just, just tough times. (laughs) Scott, think about it this way. At least we have mid inning entertainment now. That's true. Oh my goodness. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and, uh, blow the save. All right, so uh, my blowing the save is going to kind of go back to this this topic that we uh, had last week, specifically in terms of supporting local and stuff like that. And one thing that I want to kind of emphasize is this basis of you know supporting the baseball community as a whole. Once again, um, you know, it's w- something that I was thinking about tonight, and it's something I pulled the trigger on. And I told Jake about this, but you know, I went over to FanGraphs. It's a, a site that I you know oftentimes in the past looked at on a daily basis. You know, I do it less so nowadays because, um, you know, I don't have the time to burn at work um, like I would have in the past. Um, but again, it's the standpoint of like fan graphs over the past 10 years has changed so remarkably in terms of the impact that they are having on the game where you've got players talking about it. And even to the point where you had in the Major League Baseball CBA indications that they were going to look at war based off of fan graphs and basically make determinations of whether or not players are going to qualify or not qualify um, for certain categories within the CBA just kind of mind boggles me to a certain regard that this kind of site is doing it. So, you know, fan graphs for, for quite some time has been looking for people to come out and be members to help them donate, offer them some, some funds. Um, you know, it's $25 per year. It is a great um, group of editors, authors, and just a database of information. Um, you know, you know I, I know that there are various individuals out there that you can support through Patreon um, or anything like that. But again, Fangrass is a great resource that if you're looking to pull information up, 
um, highly recommended. So if possible, if you're looking to, you know, support something and, and maybe do a little bit more of that data analysis standpoint and get a little bit, you know, aspect behind the fields of what Fangrass is, give them a support if possible. Um, they're a good group of people. Um, and like I said, it's it's well worth the the aspect to basically further promote their cause. Scotty, we're getting really great at pointing people's money to other places. Uh, we, like I said, we are not in the position where we we need that at this given moment. It is more of the aspect of I'm looking forward to supporting the greater Baltimore community and the greater baseball community um, as we progress and you know enter into the golden age of it. We got very lucky with our our four hundred one k investments um, in this in this podcast, um, and by doing so, we are only negative six hundred dollars in the hole as opposed to negative $1,500. Um, well, we have that $600 million reinvestment or revitalization grant coming. I know it's somewhere out there. It is somewhere out there, um, and it eventually will it will happen. So, um, But yeah, like I said, just give them some support if, you, if you've got some extra money lying around. Um, well worth it and, and, and a great um, baseball resource um, out there for the greater community. And that that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds of Review is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media all over the place instagram facebook snapchat tiktok uh dreamsicle right you tiktok at opening day right i did not oh that's a shame i did not i i was not i was not sure how to do that that uh that i hadn't had too much to uh you, you can't you can't tiktok under the influence i i've i've come to realize so all the 14 year olds that are listening to us reach out to us we'll we'll teach jake how to tiktok <laughs> but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.